welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. If you have a question you want us to answer here on the podcast, just send an email to podcast at mach1fg.com. If you want to learn more about your financial future, you can schedule a free consultation with any of our advisors here at Mach 1 with absolutely no obligation. Just head to mach1fg.com for more information. Well, welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. Here we are with episode 92. Man, we're getting close to that 100 mark. Hey, we're here today real close to filing taxes. So today we're going to talk about some things you should be thinking about before you file your taxes. And if you've already filed them, things you need to prepare for before you file for next year. So on the podcast today, we have our founder and CEO, Mr. David Lee, and our VP, COO, Matt Walters. Guys, you ready to talk about taxes? Man, I can't wait. (laughs) They are pumped and excited. I couldn't sleep last night. (laughs) We just antsy to ready to talk about some taxes. Okay, first of all, let's talk about a few things here. So let's talk about those things. If you've not filed your taxes, what should people be considering about before they file their taxes. David, you want to take Roth contributions? Couple of, yeah, a couple of things that just kind of um, pretty simple, but some things that sometimes get overlooked is you may remember you have until your tax filing deadline or April 15th to make a IRA or Roth IRA contribution for the previous year. If you're under 50, that's $6,000. If you're over 50, that's 7000 Now, uh, it gets it's a little more complicated than that because if you have employer sponsored plans like 401ks uh, and you make over certain thresholds of income, you you can make a IRA contribution, but you may not be able to deduct it. But if you don't already have an employer sponsored plan um, and you haven't made an IRA contribution for the previous year, uh, then you might want to consider doing that prior to filing your taxes. It'll it'll give you a bit of a tax break. They have a 401k plan and they're putting their money in there. Can they still make a Roth contribution for last year? So there's a bunch of what ifs of if you make over a certain amount, if your if your spouse has a pl- employer plan, if you have an employer plan, when there's a bot, there's like a matrix of what you have to walk through to see, are you eligible? Just having a 401k plan at work though, in and of itself does not inhibit you from making a Roth contribution only if you make over a certain amount. One question that I've started getting more frequently is, well, I can't make a Roth contribution to a Roth IRA. I'm under the threshold, but I do Roth 401k contributions. And it's like, well, that doesn't matter either, right? A Roth 401k contribution, you can still go make a Roth IRA contribution as long as your income is under the threshold. So you definitely want to know, and you can Google it, right? The IRS website has a matrix you walk through of if you're married, filing this way, and your income is this, you're eligible for X, Y, and Z. You just want to make sure that you're putting the money in the right spot um, or talking to you know whoever you work with. So, 
So needless to say, this can be confusing. So if you have a 401k plan and you're contributing to it, regardless of your income, that may prohibit you from contributing to an IRA. If you have a employer plan, you contribute to it, and you make less than, it's about $200,000 married, filing jointly, then you can still contribute to a Roth IRA. And you can do all this before you file your taxes this year. Uh, but then it gets a little complicated from there. And and the even more confusing part, because just let's why not make it as confusing as possible, <laughs> is anybody can make a traditional IRA contribution. The question is whether or not it's deductible or not, right? So a lot of people don't know you can make non-deductible traditional IRA contributions. Lots of times it doesn't make sense. You'd probably rather put the money elsewhere. But um, technically anybody can put money in a traditional IRA so, Matt, there is one good reason for a person to make a non-tax-deductible IRA contribution. What would that be? Yeah, so if you're not eligible to make a Roth contribution directly, you can make a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution and then if, and convert it at some point in the future, right? So you can put that money, don't take the deduction, put it into a traditional IRA, and then do a conversion to a Roth IRA. And it allows you to still get money into a Roth, but... Um, without putting it as a Roth contribution if you're you know, over the income threshold. And David, what do we call those? Those are called backdoor Roth conversions. Yep. Good job, David! <laughs> That's called a softball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've talked about Roth contributions. We've talked about IRA contributions. And this little-known thing called an HSA, Health Savings Account. Not to be confused with a health spending account. A health savings account requires you to have a high deductible health plan to be eligible for a health savings account. So, David, what is a health savings account and why would anybody want one? Well, it's, a, it's like you said, it's for high deductible health uh, insurance plans. So if you've, got, if you've got that high deductible plan that's HSA eligible, you can contribute up to, I think it's $7,300 for a family or basically half that for a single person. And that is a tax deductible contribution when you put that money in there. That's key. You can take that off your taxes just like an IRA contribution. Yeah, sort of like, it's actually kind of, if you do it right, it's kind of like a tax deductible Roth contribution if there was such a thing, right? And what I mean by that is you're getting the deduction on the way in up to that figure that I just gave you. Um, and then because it's not a flexible spending account that has to be emptied out every year or used every year. As long as you keep those medical receipts, you can go back and withdraw out of that HSA at any time in the future and apply it against those medical expenses that you occurred in the past. And as long as you're applying against those medical expenses, you're getting to withdraw it tax free. So you're putting it in tax deferred it's growing tax deferred and you're pulling it out tax free. And that's the comments I make to most of our clients. It's triple tax benefit. No taxes going in, grows tax free. And as long as you pull it out for medical expenses, you can pull it out tax free. And what you said is key, David. If you leave it in there over your lifetime and let it grow tax free and anything you spend money for out of pocket for medical expenses, keep those receipts. When you get to retirement, you can turn them all in at once and get you a boatload of tax-free money that came out of growth, most likely. It's a beautiful thing. It if is a if you're beautiful eligible thing for that most people don't take advantage of. Yeah. Well, a lot of people may not be eligible yeah, for it. Yeah, a lot of people, that's the kind of hard part, is a lot of people aren't eligible for an HSA. And so, you know, if you don't know, definitely call your HR yeah. you know, people and, and ask the right questions because 
you'll want to participate if you are eligible. And if you do have one and you're putting money in and spending it right away, you're missing all of the tax advantages on there, or most of them. Okay, so we got HSAs. We can make those contributions up until we file our taxes, right? That's right. Right. All right. Okay, qualified charitable distributions, QCDs. Matt, do you want that one? Yeah, not really. But so qualified charitable distributions are if you're someone, if you're 70 and a half, you can start taking money out of your IRAs and sending it directly to your church and charity, and you don't have to claim the distribution as income. The, the kind of dual benefit is once you, so you can start doing that at 70 and a half, but once you get to 72, now you're required to start taking money out of your IRAs, right? It's what's known as the required minimum distribution. So whether you need the income or not, or whether you need the money, you have to take at least a little bit out. And so taking advantage of the qualified charitable distribution allows you to take out the amount to satisfy your required minimum distribution without it being shown as taxable income to you or received by you. So that goes directly to the 501c3 church or charity that you want to support. A couple things to keep in mind. One is you have to do that before the end of the year, right? So that's a calendar year deal. That's not something that you can wait until April 1st and try to do it for last year. So you want to be planning for that. And another thing is, we've seen this some, is depending on which custodian you work with, you want to make sure um, that you know how it's going to be labeled on the 1099 after you've done it. So sometimes the custodian will make it very clear. Other times it'll show up as a 1099, just distribution, and there'll be this little box checked down at the bottom that basically says, yes, this was a distribution that should have been taxable, but it met these exceptions, and so therefore it's not. So just making sh- making sure that you're working with your CPA so that's getting filed appropriately. Good CPAs will catch that, but if you use TurboTax or something, right. it will not catch that. So that's a really good point, Matt. David? One other thing I want to say about QCDs that uh, – that gets confused at least i don't know if you guys have run across this is clients will think well if i turn if i take that out that required minimum distribution and i receive it and i turn around and give it to the charity is that not the tax equivalent of giving it directly out of the ira and of course the answer is no it's more tax efficient to give it via the qualified charitable distribution so again it only I want to reemphasize this it only applies if you're over 70 and a half but if you're over 70 and a half, we would highly recommend for those of you who are charitably minded that you give, do any charitable giving that you're going to do throughout the course of the year via the QCD because it keeps that income completely off of your tax return, right? And so it preserves more of that $25,000 standard deduction that you get for married filing jointly to apply to be deducted against any other income sources that you have for that year. Yeah, I guess the one exception would be is if you if you do itemize. Yeah. Right? But most people don't, most right? People so don't, for a yeah. vast majority of retirees, especially taking the standard deduction, to yeah. your point, like it's going to – the no-brainer is to do the qualified charitable yes. distribution because your taxable income is less. Therefore, the um, standard deduction is making a bigger impact. Yeah. If you're a new listener and you're really not a client of Mach 1s and just first time you've heard of something called a QCD, please ask your tax preparer about it uh, because it is a very tax-efficient way for you to give. For those of you already giving, here's a tax-efficient way to do that. All right, that was QCDs. Okay, so now, Matt, you mentioned the standard deduction. So what if, you know, every year I'm right there at the, almost at the standard deduction, but I'm not over it. Um, what can I do to take advantage of that and maybe putting two years worth of stuff together? 
How do you do that? Yeah, so this is kind of referred, known as bunching contributions or lumping contributions together. And so if you're someone who is already giving, you know, you give a tithe or give a lot of money to charity every year, but you're not to the point where you're take, you're itemizing, to your point, Mike, looking at do you have the ability to maybe do two years worth of giving in one so that you could itemize for that one year, getting a much larger deduction in that single year, and then the following year you just take the standard deduction, right? So if you start doing the math, it can it can make a pretty significant difference depending on what the numbers are for you, but it's definitely worth looking at. We just always encourage people, you know, let your church or charity know so they can kind of budget for it. But if you're going to be giving, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it of saying, hey, I'm going to give two years worth of donations or tithes right now. Um, give them a heads up, and it can it can make a big difference from a st- tax standpoint. So you're recognizing two years worth of giving in one year. Right. Uh, you're still giving the same amount, but you're just recognizing it all in one year. One other somewhat related to this, um, since we're talking about tax planning considerations, if uh, you've got some big taxable event that's going to happen this year, next year, whenever it's out there on the horizon, so as long as so this would not apply to anything that happened last year. Um, but if you, if you anticipate, let's say, I don't know, selling a piece of property or selling a business and you anticipate having a large gain, you can set up what are called donor advised funds, right? And you can make a large contribution to that donor advised fund to offset some of those large capital gains that you anticipate getting this year. Um, and then you can start bunching contributions that way too, right? You can start giving out of that donor advised fund to charity or charities of your choice. Uh, so the way a donor advised fund works, when you put the money in, you get a tax deduction for the year the contribution is made, but you don't have to donate all that money to the charities that same year. You can stretch it out over many years. So as an example, let's say you're 60 years old, you sell a business, you've got a large capital gain, you can make a large donation to a donor advised fund, start donating out of the donor advised fund until you're 72 or 70 and a half rather until you get to qualified charitable distribution age and then switch to QCDs for your donations. Right. Absolutely. All right. A lot of good information here. All right. Rolling on Roth conversions, taking IRA money, turning them into a Roth. So you have tax-free growth for the rest of your life and whoever inherited. So when does it make sense to do a Roth conversion? Uh, well, that the answer is complicated, right? It, it, the answer really is it depends. There's a lot of factors that go into when it might make sense to do a Roth conversion. But um, as a rule of thumb, most people, if you ask them, do you think taxes are going to be higher or lower in the future than they are today? Most people would agree taxes are probably going to be higher because we've got a $30 trillion debt and all kinds of reasons. So if you believe taxes are going to be higher in the future, it might make sense to do Roth conversions today as long as you do it right. There's a right way and a wrong way to do Roth conversions. For example, if you've got a really large sum, let's say half a million, a million dollars, whatever, in your 401k, you won't want to convert all that all in one year because that's all taxable income that you would have to realize that the year of that conversion, that bumps you all the way up to the top top tax bracket, and so you're going to be paying at a high rate. So what I mean by there's a right and a wrong way, you could – you could start converting smaller chunks at a time to try to manage your bracket such that you stay, you know, just below the next higher bracket above you. And so let's say you're having to pay the conversion tax at a rate of 
28% or something like that. Whereas if you did nothing, you were projected to be in a 28% or higher tax bracket throughout your retirement years. That would be a situation where doing Roth conversions would make sense. Right. And you do, and Roth conversions need to be done before the end of the year, right? Because yeah. that's going to be income that you claim for that calendar year. And so anything that you're wanting to do with that needs to be done before December 31st. And something to watch out for there. If you're 63 years old or older, uh, doing a Roth conversion could have an adverse effect on your Medicare payments. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's a nasty thing called Irma that will come visit you for a year, and nobody wants Irma to come visit. So on that note, I mean, it, you want to coordinate and we always do this whenever we do Roth conversions for clients, you always want to coordinate that plan with your CPA because the CPA is going to be concerned with what's the short-term impact. The advisor is going to be concerned with what's the long-term impact on taxes. And there, there needs to be kind of a happy balance between the two. And a Roth conversion, like Matt said, has to be done by the end of the calendar year. So now we're thinking about for 2022 on Roth conversions. All right. Another thing for 2022 Maxing out your employer matching contributions. Uh, I'm sure, Matt, both of you guys have seen people come in that are not contributing to their 401K up to at least the match or maybe not any, and they're leaving free money on the table. Can you explain that, Matt? Yeah. You'd, I mean, the first place to start from a saving or investing standpoint is getting 100% return by taking advantage of your employer match. Um, after that, Typically, you know, we get questions of, hey, how can I, I'm getting hammered with taxes. Where can I contribute? And, you know, the, the 401k or whatever employer plan you have at work is probably going to be the best place in terms of lowering your current year tax situation because oftentimes you're not going to be able to do a tax um, tax deferred or tax deductible contribution elsewhere. So definitely making sure you're taking advantage of the match and then, also looking at, you know, do I need to be deferring taxes or should I be making Roth contributions um, or what does my current tax situation look like? And on that, if you're doing, if your employer offers a Roth 401k and that's what you choose, then any match has to be the traditional 401k. So you'd have both of them going at the same time. Okay. What about rebalancing 401ks, David? How often do you suggest somebody go in and rebalance their 401k? The short answer, uh, I think the bottom line answer would be if it gets significantly out of balance, like if you're supposed to be 25% across three or, you know, four different funds and one one's getting beat up and it's down to 15% and the other one's up to 35, that's a perfect example of, of rebalancing. But probably as a rule of thumb, once a year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I would, yeah. I would take make sure you're at least looking at it once a year. You don't want to be somebody who's – you know, every morning waking yeah. up wondering what your 401k is just going to drive you crazy. But, you know, every six to 12 months, Take making a look sure at you're it. on track and it's balanced appropriately. I mean, your options, and the only reason I don't typically say more than that is because your options are so limited to begin with, you don't yeah. want to overanalyze it. Yeah, right? It's right. not like you can go put together this super custom allocation and manage it. You know, it's just you're going to be limited. And so keep it simple and rebalance once or twice a year. Yeah. And I would say, and you know, more importantly than that, because that's that's not really going to affect you tax-wise, certainly not a tax consideration that you need to think about at the end of a tax year. However, something that, that kind of goes along with rebalancing is tax loss harvesting. This would be an end of the calendar year type of thing on any, any non-IRA type of accounts. Um, it, it may be prudent <clears throat> to go in, say, in November or early December each year and look and see, are there any, are there any place, any 
stocks that you own in your account that you've got a lot of losses in if so that you can kind of rebalance and pare back some of the positions where you've got a lot of gains in if you want to try to rebalance those without significant tax consequence. And you're talking to, in a non-qualified account. In a non-qualified account, a non-IRA account. I want to go, jump back to the 401k for a minute. Uh, rebalancing is one thing you should do, but if you're not maxing out at your 401k, uh, at least to the match, like Matt said, but if you have room and you've gotten a raise, you should might want to bump that up like 1% a year. Because yep. the key is, is that constant flow, inflow of your money. Uh, changing your balance will help some, but not near as much as you continue to contribute. That's right. And if you're getting a raise, put 1% of that raise in there, and you'll never miss it because you didn't right. have it to start with. Okay. All right. We got at least one more thing here we're going to talk about. Hey, I had people come in and say, man, I, I hit the jackpot. I got <laughs> a big tax refund this year. And they're going, they're all happy about it. And all of us are sad about it. Why are we sad about it, David? Well, a, a big tax refund just simply means that you gave the government interest-free loan for most of the year because they're just giving you your own dollars back, right, with no interest on them. So if you get a big tax refund, that just means that you had too much withheld from your paycheck throughout the course of the year, and good chances are that you'd be able to use that money more effectively and smarter than the government can. So you should probably adjust your rate of withholding so that your net paycheck each month goes up a little bit and you don't get a big tax refund. Eli met, uh, met with a client earlier last week, and that big tax refund, if we kind of boiled it down and broke it out by month, we, we showed them how they could take that tax refund by month back in his paycheck and pay it against debt and be out of debt a lot That's sooner right. and faster. Yep. And that was an eye-opener. So, all right. So a big tax refund. Folks, we're getting a lot of comments on the podcast. I'd like to thank Carl out there for his comments. Uh, we appreciate those. If you have comments, you can share your comments with us. Hey, if you like us, share this podcast with others. That's uh, We want to share this information with as many people as possible. David, you have any final parting thoughts? I just love talking about taxes. Yeah, there's a reason <laughs> I'm not a CPA. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, and we are not CPAs, but every one of us, every day, when we're working on financial plans, we have to consider taxes because yeah, yeah. it's a huge component yeah. of what goes on in your financial life. So, and like we said earlier, we always refer you back to your tax preparer or your CPA. Okay, folks, well, that's it for episode 92. We look forward to you joining us on episode 93, but at each end of each podcast, we'd like to do a thought of the day. And looking for a thought of the day on taxes, you know, that's got to be a little bit tough. But you know what? Mark Twain had something to say about taxes. And he said, what is the difference between a taxidermist and a tax collector? A taxidermist takes only your skin. <laughs> One more time. What's the difference between a taxidermist and a tax collector? A taxidermist takes only your skin, and that's by Mark Twain. <laughs> Folks, thanks for listening to the Mach 1 Market Moment here, episode 92. Join us next week for episode 93. 
Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com disclosures.